Good morning, Highland Community Church. We're glad that you have joined us online or at one of the campuses. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to take a short hiatus for a week or so that, uh, from our normal study in 1 John, and we're going to look at the topic of worry, anxiety, nobody's friend. Let's go ahead and ask God to guide us. Father God, as we talk about anxiety and worry, we ask, Father, that we would find a fine line. We want to know biblically what you say and how we can be less anxious, worry less, without heaping guilt on those who are already suffering. Father, help us to find that line. Help us to hear from your inspired, inerrant word. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as I've said, today we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety, about worry. I think it's appropriate being where we have been in 2020. There is the COVID-19. There's the political unrest. There's the divide in our country. There's the divide in our community. I think there are lots of external forces that are pushing against us that can and has driven some of us into worry. And so I'd like to look at what God says on the topic. Please know that we want to hear from the Lord. We want to find some help in this area. But we're not looking to bury any of us in guilt. We're looking to God to rescue us from unhealthy anxiety and worry. Now I'm going to start with a couple light stories but the topic is not light, and I'm not making fun of the topic. I think of Irish Archbishop Trent. He was a Greek scholar of yesteryear. He had what he considered to be an irrational belief that someday his limbs would stop working. They would stop functioning. And somehow he couldn't get what he called an irrational belief out of his mind. And one particular night at a very formal dinner with lots of very important people, suddenly he blurted out, it's happened, I knew it would. I can no longer feel my leg. Very gently, the woman who was sitting next to him, not someone he really knew, leaned over and whispered, I don't know if this helps your grace, but you're pinching my leg. That is purportedly a true story, not making fun of him because all of us sometimes have irrational fears that drive us. I think about another story. I don't know if this one is true or not. It's about a federal judge and his wife. Her name was Jan, and she knew that there was a lot of weight on her husband's shoulders. He was overseeing a large trial, a large court case, and it had to do with uh, a cocaine cartel, and he had received some threats, and so she got them away, away for a little break, a little respite. She had bought him some new clothes for the Christmas season, 
for the respite and they sat at a table and while they were having a little drink, suddenly he noticed a little disc in his new tie. So immediately he summoned the FBI, an agent came. He said, I don't know. It seems like maybe I've been bugged, maybe by the, the cartel. And so they took it seriously. They took the tie away and he didn't hear anything. And a few hours later, he called up and said, hey, what did you find? And the agent, trying not to laugh, said, oh, you mean your green tie? Well, we discovered that little disc that was sewn in. If you push it, it plays jingle bells. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not. But I know that that's how fear sometimes grips us. And again, we're not going to place grief or guilt on anyone, but we want to hear from the Lord. What does the Lord say about anxiety and worry? And in order to do that, we'll look at the longest passage in the Bible on this topic. I'd like to read from Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, merizo nuos, that's the compound word, merinao, merizo is to divide nuos, one's mind. That's what anxiety is. It's to divide our mind away from what's central. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a spice, the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's actually a name, you little faither. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. We often lift this out of its context, but the context is worry. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles." I love the way verse 25 begins, but it's really challenging. Do not be anxious. And we say, whoa, okay, I get that, but CV19, be wise, be careful, be prayerful, don't be anxious. But the divide in our country, be unifying, be prayerful, don't be anxious. The political divide in our country, vote, Work for change, be prayerful, don't be anxious. That's what the text is saying. Maybe we constantly quote things like Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And we cite scripture back to ourselves, And we ask God to allow it to come into our hearts, to move our hearts, to move our minds, so that our minds are not divided. 
But God says, who knows us, do not be anxious. And God would not say that if he didn't allow us to lower the anxiety and worry in our life. Now the word anxious, it's found in verse 25, 27, 28, 31, 34. We've already talked about it. It's merinao, it's merizo to divide and nuos the mind. Anxiety is when my mind is divided from away from the Lord and the things of God and worship and scripture and prayer and on to things that are causing me concern and fear. That doesn't mean we aren't going to have those things, but we want to look at them always through the lens of Christ. A divided mind leaves Christ, leaves his word, leaves worship, leaves prayer out of it. That's what it means to have anxiety, biblically speaking. As I think about this, I think of one of those accounts in Luke that really speaks to my heart. Let me read from Luke 10, 38 to 42, so familiar to all of us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Jesus, don't you know that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work and you're not helping the situation? Come on, Jesus, do something. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. There's our word, Mermnao, Merizo, to divide, nuos, the mind, and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I think sometimes we misunderstand the text. The church runs on Martha's. If you're a Martha, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. You pitch in, you serve, you use your spiritual gifts, you get your hands dirty, thank you. I don't believe even for a moment Jesus is upset with the service, the usefulness of spiritual gifts, the hospitality of Martha. That's not the issue. The issue is she's running on grit. She's running on fortitude. She's running on white knuckles. She is not allowing herself to be re-infused, refueled with the things of God. She is so driven on doing things that she's not doing it out of a heart of worship. She's not doing it out of a gratitude for who God is and what he has done. The problem is not that she's doing. The problem is not that she's serving. The problem is not that she's using her spiritual gifts, all great things. It's that she's doing it out of fortitude rather than worship. She has a divided mind. She's not looking at things through the lens of Christ, the lens of worship. She's just looking at the work to be done and she's ticked off because Mary is spending time refueling. 
She's spending time in worship, which will then propel her to serve, not out of fortitude and gripped white knuckles, but out of a heart of gratitude for who God is and what he has done. It's a divided mind. That's what anxiety is, biblically speaking. I know about this personally. I'm not particularly a worrier or an anxious person, but it is one of those sins on my sin palate. But perhaps, maybe more than any other time the last nine months, my anxiety level has been higher than it has ever been before. Actually, not right now. I think the Lord has given me some victory, but I've had some periods of time where my anxiety was really high. And I'll just give you a glimpse into my life as an example, nothing special about it. Yours would be probably more important than mine. But I've not been afraid of getting coronavirus. That's not to downplay the disease. That just hasn't been a fear. But I have been very fearful or concerned, I think I would rather use that word, how to shepherd well during a season that is unlike any in the 30 plus years I've pastored. I want to pastor with integrity and godliness and, and I'm facing a situation that is unfamiliar to me like it is to you. And I want to balance well. And these are the things that I'm trying to balance and, and sometimes I'm doing it with a divided mind. I'm doing it without prayer and that's sin. I'm trying to balance a diverse congregation with various needs, legitimate needs that vary and legitimate convictions that vary. I'm trying to balance those who have real health concerns or concerns about their career or concerns about the health of their family and they need at this time to be worshiping at home, very legitimate. And yet I have a strong conviction in my life to keep the church open in my life I personally, not the government one period of time, I personally have stopped a Sunday morning service twice for snowstorms in over 30 years. That's it. I have a strong conviction of in-person worship. That's my conviction. But I have a strong conviction to care for the needs of those who have to be online. That's my conviction. And so we're trying to balance right now 11 live services on Sunday mornings. A 12th online service that we videotape on Thursdays. Online ministries, whether it be Gen 180 or One Way Club or Young Adults or Sunday School or Bible Studies, all of which we have put online every week or we try to. And yet we also have in person, trying to balance these, trying to balance real health concerns and, and wise protocols, also with liberties. I'm moved by what Justice Alito, not a intellectual lightweight, said to the Federalist Society in November, where he said in the last nine months, we have eroded more liberties in the United States than any nine-month period in our history. And all of that we're trying to balance. Not just at Highland, in all of our organizations, 
we're trying to balance that and, and sometimes I've done it with prayer. But sometimes I've had a divided mind and I, I take my mind off of the Lord and I put it on the circumstances and I, and I paralyze myself. And I've got to say that's sinful. A divided mind is sinful. I need to look at these things always through the lens of Christ and through prayer. And when I don't, that's anxiety in my life. And, and I'm like what Jesus says to Martha, 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 you're anxious. Jeff, you're anxious. Miramnos, you're, you're anxious about so many things. But one thing is necessary. What's the thing that is necessary? The lens of Christ. What's the thing that is necessary? Prayer. What's the thing that is necessary? Worship. What's the thing that is necessary? Being in the Word. That is necessary. And it needs to be the lens in which I look at all the circumstances around me. And when I don't, I end up in anxiety, a divided mind. That's the first thing I notice from the text. Back to Matthew 6, the second thing I notice is that it's possible for some of us to worry about secondary issues. Now Jesus mentions here food and clothing. Now that's not to say that there aren't parts of the world or maybe even parts of our community that really need to think hard about food and clothing because it's not readily available. But that really isn't my concern. Maybe they are my concern. But personally, I know where tomorrow's meal is coming from. And as for clothing, let's be honest, I dress dapper, so none of us are concerned about that. Yet sometimes, some of us concern ourselves with lesser issues. Things that are not real big concerns for us. I doubt when we get to the end of our lives. I've been with lots of people in the last hours of their lives. I have never heard, and you aren't going to be the first, I have never heard someone say, you know, my greatest regret is that I didn't wear enough chick clothing. I didn't wear enough name brand clothing. Or I didn't eat enough of this or that. People don't say that. We tend to worry about secondary issues. And so as I studied and wrote the sermon, I thought, well, what do I worry about? And I thought, well, I worry that my children or grandchildren might not walk with the Lord. I, I worry about their safety, especially when they're on long drives to another state. I worry about the morality and ethics of our nation. And I pat myself on the back because, let's be honest, I worry about big things, not small things. And then I read verse 27, which says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or span to his life? And I realize that even if I worry about big things, my worry is not really making an impact. By worrying... I can do nothing by praying. God will do things. But by worry, all I'm doing is giving myself an ulcer. I'm not changing anything. And my God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So why would I not turn to him? That's why we're given the example of the birds in verse 26. And look at this little, this little ditty, this little poem. It says this. 
Friend, I'd really like to know what makes these human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And we say, oh, huh. That's pretty hard hitting, isn't it? Because, of course, we do have a Heavenly Father who does care for us. Pretty convicting. Who among us has not looked back at our teen years and said something like this? I think those teen years would have gone a lot better if I had worried more. We never say that because the worry doesn't help. Or who would like to go to their MD and have their annual checkup and then the MD says, oh, this is not good. About the only thing we can do right now is double our worry. How would that be helpful? These are ridiculous illustrations. We know they're ridiculous. And yet sometimes I act just like that and I worry. It's kind of like the gerbil. It's on the little spinning running wheel and he goes round and round and round and round. And when he gets off, he's in the same spot that he left. At least he gets some exercise. What do I get for my worry? I get ulcers. So back to prayer. Back to looking at things through the lens of Christ. Back to scripture. Back to being in corporate worship. These are the things that are utterly needful in my life. And when I don't do that, I have a divided mind. I'm leaving Christ out. I'm not looking through the lens of Scripture, the lens of Christ. And it causes more anxiety. And if that's not hard enough, we're called a name when we do this. God calls me a little faither. That's what verse 30 says. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the wor- in the oven... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You little faith or Jeff. And then in verses 31 and 32, he compares us to Gentile unbelievers when we don't look through the lens of Christ. So what is the solution? It's more time with Christ. Oh, that's profound. Don't you have anything better than that? Well, this is God's word. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he says, this is the solution. So he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. And we often lift this out of his context, but the context is one of worry. And if we doubt it, look at the very next verse. Therefore, don't be anxious. Merimnao, merizo nuas, the divided mind. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has anxiety for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. What God is saying is this. I will give you grace for the troubles 24 hours at a time. That's what he's saying. I want grace for like 48 hours or a week or four years or 10 years. Give me grace because I'm worrying about things way down the path. And it's not that we don't prepare for the future, but we don't worry about it because... He gives us grace for one day. It's kind of like manna. You remember in Exodus 16. And in Exodus 16, we have the Israelites in the wilderness, right? And they're wandering for 40 years. 
and God allows them manna, little pieces of bread that come down out of heaven. And you remember what the rule is. You can only get manna for that day unless it's the Sabbath and then you get it for two days. Now, if nobody's looking, you say, just in case God forgets tomorrow's grace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect enough manna for two or three days. You remember what Exodus 16, 19, and 20 says? After 24 hours, it turns rotten. It gets moldy. It's not functional. Because God gives grace for 24 hours in the wilderness. And guess what he gives us? Grace for 24 hours in whatever wilderness we're in. He gives us grace which is sufficient for one day's problems. We can plan ahead, certainly, but we shouldn't be worrying ahead what's going to happen tomorrow or in a year or four years or ten years because God promises the grace for today. And when we get to tomorrow, he'll give us grace for that. Every time I worry, more often than not, it's for something more than 24 hours in advance. And God doesn't promise me grace for that. Not until I get there. He promises me grace for today. 24-hour shelf life for grace for the problems of today. Well, I want to conclude with a few thoughts. They're not all out of this text, but they're things I can prove in Scripture. And in fact, three of them I'll show you where I see them in Scripture. The first, though, is some have medical needs to help with anxiety and worship or worry. Please go see your MD. Get medical help. It's not shameful. God has given us a time in history where we have medical personnel that can provide some needed help if our anxiety is too high, get help, please. Second, and this is a big deal. In fact, I think this is a bigger deal right now than it has ever been in my lifetime. Some of us need to have less intake of sensational news than ever before. We have this steady diet of whatever political affiliation we are in, of sensational news, and it is causing anger and angst and poor choices. It is. And we're, we're not as rational as we ought to be. Listen to what God says about what ought to be coming into our lives. And I'm not saying... We don't read the news. Of course, you don't stick your head in the sand. But you need, many of us need to tone it down. This is what God says in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, sisters, Christ followers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what are we to feed ourselves with? Look at the text. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, worthy of worship. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we spending more time in the word, in prayer, in worship, 
or insensationalized news. And if we're leaning towards the sensationalized news, is it any wonder that we are emotional wrecks? Is it any wonder that we are jumping on every single conspiracy theory that's out there? And it's driving us to anger and angst and pain and anxiety and worship or worthy uh, worry. We need to look through the lens of Christ. And we need to feast more on the things of Christ than the things of the world. Where in the balance are you? Where am I? Third, I believe online church right now is very appropriate for certain families and individuals based on health needs and concerns and jobs. I believe that. But I have always pastored saying, I will never go online. I've been asked for, for a long time. No, I'm not going online because we need one another. This is an exceptional circumstance. I think it's legitimate in every way. Hear that. But also hear this. There's a two-word phrase that probably causes me to be just kind of gripping my teeth and my, my fist when I hear it. Someone says to me, settle into the new normal. No! You can have the new normal. I don't want it. It's not for me. There will be no new normal for me. I'm going back. At the right time, I'm going back. And I think back is not online for the average person. It's in person. I don't know when that is. I don't know when it's safe to be. That, that's beyond my pay grade. But I don't want a new normal. I want what Scripture says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing, God says when we get closer and closer to the end times, what we don't need is the new normal. We need one another more than we have ever needed each other. There was a Gallup poll. I don't know what you think of Gallup, but on December 7th, there was a Gallup poll. And it was not a Christian poll. And they did a poll across the country. And they were asking people their level of joy. We might be surprised to know by double digits, 11% above any other category, those who had levels of joy were in worship groups in person. Lots of reasons why that's not possible for many. I get that. But a secular study found in the midst of this how much we need one another in a worship setting. Finally, during times of anxiety, we've got to avoid unhealthy coping mechanisms. Drug or alcohol addiction or overspending or just making poor choices. What we need is to keep our eyes on the Creator. I think of Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. This is what we need. And do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need not a divided mind, but to look at everything through the lens of Christ. More prayer, more worship, more scripture, less of the world, the lens of Christ, which makes melody in our hearts. That will lower our anxiety and our worship and our worry. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we don't want worry, we want worship. We don't want anxiety, a divided mind, but one that is singularly focused, looking through the lens of your son, Jesus, and evaluating things through your son. We need more prayer. We need more worship. We need more scripture. And we need to balance the intake of the world, which causes anger and angst and division, a divided mind. We need more of you. Help us to pursue more of you. Empower us to do that by your spirit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.